So when I was 19 years old, I was convinced that it was a complete myth that a two-year-old can control a situation. Convinced of it. In all of my wisdom of parenthood at 19 years old, I knew there was no way a two-year-old would ever manipulate me to do anything I didn't want to do. And then I became a parent of a two-year-old. There is so much more truth than myth to that legend, it's not even funny. It's something about the little smile and laugh right when you're ready to completely lose it, and it's probably just for self-preservation, but it works. And somehow, they come out looking shiny and new and fresh in the middle of an absolutely terrible thing. And I don't know how it happens, but it does. That is just one of the millions of things I have had to learn and continuing to learn about parenting. And I'm so grateful that we are doing this series because of it. I'm still a very new parent. And so when I found out that we were going to do this, I told Trent, I'm super excited about it. I'm so glad that we're learning about how to do parenting the right way, the godly way, and not the way I really just want to do it because this feels like the best way to me. Now, if you're new with us, my name is Evan. I'm one of the leads here at Epic. And if I said two-year-old and parenting and you went, okay, how much longer till I can walk out of here and not look like a terrible person? Do me a favor, don't check out on me this morning uh, for a couple of reasons. First is I know that uh, for some people, this is just not your season of life, right? You're not a parent. Maybe you have no plans at all to be a parent. Maybe parenting is done for you. The kids are out of the house. You're looking forward to some time where you get to spend with your spouse and go travel the world and do exciting things and see two-year-olds for about 30 minutes in an afternoon once a month. Whatever that is for you, what I'm finding more and more as I talk to people is that the stories we end up living are not always the stories we think we're going to live right now. And I've heard a lot of experiences from people who thought they were never going to be parents or they were done with parenting, and then a child shows up in their life in some form or fashion, and they needed to parent anyway. And so we want to know these parenting principles and how to parent in a godly way because we don't always know what's in front of us. Or we just influence children. There are kids around us all the time. We know how to influence them for God. And this morning, some of the principles we're looking at, you could even apply these into relationships outside of your life, maybe from a different aspect. I don't know that I'd do these from the parenting point to your boss, but you can apply a lot of these principles to your regular everyday life with the people around you and probably come off better for it. So don't check out on me today. I really hope you'll stick around with us and stick through the service. One other thing, and then we'll get started. Uh, You'll notice some cards on your seats. If you have a question about parenting, we would love to hear that question. So some of you have actual cards with some lines on it. Some of you have some of the prayer request cards. They're to be used for the same thing. But write your question down and put it in the giving boxes on your way out today. It doesn't have to be about today's message. It doesn't have to be about last week's message. It could be about anything you want. And if you've got some situation you're coming up against, you're not sure about, you're worried about, don't have to put your name on it. Just put the questions into the boxes and we're going to sort all through those. And we want to be able to answer your questions as well as we can. So at the end of this series, we're going to wrap up in a pretty cool way. We're going to address as many of those questions as we can. And hopefully it won't just be the topics we want to talk about, but the topics you guys really have questions about that we're going to be able to address by the time we're done. So four years ago, We went from a couple to a family of three when Ephraim came into our lives. And we thought the best thing to do with our brand new one-year-old would be to pack up, get in the Mazda, and take a six-hour road trip to Georgia. Probably not the best plan, but we were brilliant know-it-all parents who knew exactly what we were doing. One of the first things I found out 
is everything changes with kids. The way you pack for a road trip changes. We took somehow two thirds of our earthly belongings and shoved them into this little Mazda. I don't know how Carla pulled it off, but she did. It was amazing. We found out that you drive differently when you have kids. It's no longer just, you know, we'll stop once for gas and food and keep going. It's now every couple of hours, somebody's got a diaper you got to change, or somebody needs to eat, or somebody needs to drink, or somebody needs to be checked on. And so you drive differently when you have kids. You have to deal with emergency situations differently when you have kids. So, of course, because this is our first road trip with a child, something happened. Four hours into the trip, we blew a tire, and we're in the middle of Nowheresville, Georgia, in between exits. So I can't lip off and get help somewhere. We stop, I pull off to the side, and I couldn't make this up if I tried. It rained as soon as I opened the door to the car. And it wasn't this nice little summer sprinkle. It was torrential rain, the likes of which we have not seen since Noah and the Ark. I'm convinced of this. I walked out of the car, I'm soaked inside of two seconds. In the back of my head, I go, oh my gosh, do we even have the road change kit? Am I going to be able to change this tire? Am I stuck here for hours? What's going to happen? Did I put the essential gear that I need into the car, or was all just the extra stuff? And so I start passing stuff from the trunk into Carla. She's playing Tetris in the backseat around Ephraim in order to keep him in this nice little balloon of space and still be able to see out of the back window in some way. I get to the bottom, and sure enough, the stuff is still there. I've got a tire iron, I've got a donut that's flat because we live in Florida and I haven't touched the tire since then, since we botched the car, and we have our compressor. So I had the gear that I needed, that essential gear you take no matter what. To put the donut on the car, we were able to get off the exit、uh, a couple miles up and get a tire change and be on our way. Our parenting journeys look a lot like this. Kids show up and everything changes. Everything we thought we knew about parenting, right out the window. And instead, we figure out that we've got a lot to learn in the process. Our methods change as our kids get older. Our philosophies change as we mature and we get older and as life situations change. And we have to be ready to change as we go and adapt to the situations we're finding ourselves in. But there are certain essential principles, that essential gear you pack for every trip, no matter what, that apply to any leg in our journey. They're principles that we need no matter where we are as parents. And so today, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at this really cool little、uh, encounter Jesus had with some kids, because I figured what better way to find out about parenting than Jesus? I can't get any better than that. <laughs> and so we're going to look at this little encounter he had with some kids, and we're going to see three principles that we need to apply to our parenting no matter where we are as parents. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Now, if you like to read from a physical Bible, I want to encourage you guys start finding seats in the front or all the way in the back. We're trying to get a little more ambient lighting in those areas so you can read from a Bible if you want to. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the back、uh, tables. They're there for you to take home if you want. You can use a tablet, you can use an iPhone、um, or Android if you're better than iPhones.、Um, so <laughs> I was waiting for it somewhere.、Um, We want you guys to read along with us as we go. And the reason is this I don't care if you look busy or not on a Sunday morning. We want you guys to be able to find these passages during the week. When you start having questions, when you go, did Evan really say that Sunday morning? Let me check that out. Let me look it up. Let me see if what he said really happened. So we want you guys to be able to find this stuff in the future. So please bring a Bible or bring a Bible app with you on Sunday mornings, even though we put the scriptures up on the screens. I'm going to get off my soapbox and we'll go ahead and keep going with this morning. 
So Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to see Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom, yes, that's right. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. So in these short few verses, we see three principles of parenting from Jesus that we all need to apply to our lives. The first is loving touch. Verse 13 says, one day some parents bring their children to Jesus so he can touch and bless them. Why did the parents care that Jesus be able to touch their kids? We know that Jesus' touch often was accompanied with healing, but the text doesn't say anything about any of these kids being hurt or sick or disabled in any way. And so it's got to be something else. What did they know about touch that they knew it was important that Jesus spend some time in that way with their kids? Now, in the church that I grew up in, we had those picture Bibles and I have this mental image growing up of what this looked like with Jesus. So he's sitting on a rock because, I don't know, that's what the picture said. So he's sitting on a rock, perfect, pure white robes, blue or purple sash, depending on the artist's choice. And he sits down, and the children are all in a perfect semicircle, way out of touch. And he brings a couple in, just at arm's length. Okay, you guys stop there and there. Don't get any stickiness on my robes. I bless you in my name, and off you go. And bring in the next two, right there, stop, I touch you, I bless you, and off you go. That's the mental image I had in my head growing up of what this looked like, that Jesus is at arm's length from these kids, touching kind of the tops of their heads and sending them off to do the next thing. But the text doesn't read that way. If you go back to the original language, which I just love to do because it's such a rich language, and you look at what the Greek word is for touch here, it's haptomahi. And it means to attach or to fasten to. It means to embrace or to touch someone in a way that alters their life. So what Jesus is doing here isn't this hand way out, don't get too close to me touch. It's an affectionate intimate, relational touch, or most likely an embrace with these children. Because in verse 16, it says that Jesus put his arms around the kids. And so he's down on their level, wrapping them into this hug, this embrace, holding them, talking into their lives. But he's physically interacting with them in more than just the, okay, here you go. Go on, Johnny, get out of here. He's wrapping his arms around these kids. And it was important enough to him to tell his disciples, send them in. So what does Jesus know about physical touch for a child that we need to know? Medical studies show us what Jesus knows. And it's that physical contact, loving, affectionate touch for a kid has implications in their lives that we can't put into play verbally or emotionally from our own lives. There's something about a physical touch for a kid that communicates something different to them than you can do just with your words or with your eyes or with your facial expressions. Medically, physical touch has been found to lower heart rate, 
to decrease stress hormones. There have been studies that show kids who are affectionately touched early in their lives and that continues on through their early childhood years have less cortisol in their systems than other kids. Cortisol is that fight or flight hormone that you feel when somebody jumps out and scares you like Trent does to us at the office all the time. He loves it. If you come to visit the office, watch the corners. He hides behind, okay, I'm done. Um, So (laughs) that stress hormone is that thing you feel when your stomach drops out from underneath you, you tense up inside and you're not real sure what's coming next. That's cortisol. And large amounts of that show that you're probably under a lot of negative stress in your life. And kids who are physically and affectionately touched early on in their lives have less of that hormone. Children who are either neglected or live in orphanages where they're not staffed well enough in order to have that physical touch, even though they're taken care of in every other way, they're bathed and fed and they're kept safe, they have higher levels of that stress hormone throughout later years of childhood into early teen years. So it's not something you just grow out of. And so it has physical physical implementations in these kids' lives. It boosts their immune systems. It raises their spirits. It lowers depression. There are a lot of things that it does for them physically. On the emotional side, it adds that nurturing element that we can't always get through verbally. Right? When your kid comes off of a bad game on a soccer field and you say, I am so sorry, that was a rough game. I know it was tough out there. You did a good job. You recognize what they're feeling, right? You acknowledge the way that they feel. But when you put an arm around them and you walk them back to the car and your hands on their shoulder as you go, there's a nurturing element there that communicates so much more than our words could ever break through to them. It's important. It's transformational in their lives. Now, it's really easy for a lot of us to think about cuddling like a newborn little baby, right? Like a one-year-old or an infant, and they lean up against you, and a lot of you ladies at least like the way it smells. I don't get that, but you guys do. Um, but you can hold that kid, and they just, they just want to be up against you, and they flop themselves against you, and you've got this nice little dead weight against your arm, and it feels kind of nice to hold a baby. As they get older, a lot of us begin to kind of separate a little bit from that, and we don't give them as much of that affectionate touch as they continue to need. Kids who are four or five, eight or 10, 13 and 14 years old need this just as much as infants do. But a lot of times we let it slip to the side because they begin to distance themselves and we distance ourselves in the process. So we don't want to cut that out of their lives. One more thing about this, uh, and dads, I want to talk to you for just a minute. If you have a a daughter getting into her early teen or teen years, when you don't properly show them what affectionate, loving, appropriate touch is, I guarantee you someone else is going to try. They're going to try and teach them that something is appropriate when it's not. But as a father, we have the opportunity to speak into their lives in a very real way, what an appropriate hug looks like, what an arm around a shoulder looks like, what a friendly, loving, affectionate touch is versus what is not okay. And when we abdicate that, when we step back and we say, you know what, I'm just not going to be touchy-feely with you because I'm not that kind of person, we leave them open to that being taught to them in the wrong, wrong way. And so we don't want to give up that opportunity to teach our kids what a loving, affectionate touch looks like. Guys need it just as much as girls do. Studies show that most of the time girls, especially as they hit like eight or nine years old, are often still hugged or loved on like five times more than boys, but boys need it too. 
And by that point, like they're not loving the, hey, mom, drop me off and hug me and kiss me and good to go. Right? They don't want that anymore. But you can still have great moments with them. You can give secret handshakes. You can put an arm around them. You can wrestle with them. At different ages in your kids' lives, this looks different, but it can still be there. So for me, my daughter Ainsley just turned two. So she's still, when we get up in the morning, well, when she gets up in the morning around seven, she's still in that cuddly kind of phase. And so I'll get her a cup of milk, I'll have my coffee, and we'll sit on the couch for about 10 minutes. And she'll sit in my arms and just kind of hang out. And we'll just enjoy a few quiet moments together. And then she'll go get a book, we'll read, and then she's off for her day. Ephraim, he's turning five um, next, in a couple of months. And he's not as much in that cuddly moment in the morning thing anymore, right? He is a kid with things to do. And at six o'clock, that energy level is here and he is ready to go. He knows he's got stuff he wants to get accomplished for the morning. So he's not looking for 10 precious minutes to spend on the couch, but I still have great loving, affectionate moments with him. We still wrestle together. We hang out. I elbow him. I put arms around him. I still hug him because he still loves that. What I found with him, and it's kind of cool because I wasn't expecting it, was that he likes to hold my hand sometimes when I'm not looking for it. So in a parking lot, I'm grabbing on, I'm holding on like there's nothing left and we're going through and I don't know where all the cars are and so at least I can feel where he is. When we hit the store, I wanna let him go and let him kind of roam around. But often, more often than not, he comes back to me and a hand goes out. He wants to make sure I'm still there. And he'll hold on my hand for a few minutes and then off he goes to do some things. He comes back and holds my hand again. So find out what works for your kids. Take some time to figure out what's best for them, make it intentional, and then initiate that physical contact with your kids so that they know, you communicate to them how much you love them, how much you care for them. I'm getting some great examples right here that you are not loving at all. <laughs> so we need appropriate loving touch in our kids' lives. That's number one. Back to our text in verse 13 and 14. The next principle is abundant time. So these parents bring their kids to Jesus and partway through 13 here, the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples and he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. So the disciples are doing their job. It's kind of hard to fault them in this because I get where they're coming from. Their boss, their teacher, their rabbi is an important guy and he has a lot of stuff to do. He's got people to heal. There are lame people who need to walk. Blind people need to see. Dead people need to walk again. There are thousands upon thousands of people who need to hear Jesus's life-changing message. He has no time for these little kids. Yep, Jesus loves your kids. He's really happy that they're here, but you know what? You need to take them off and go play somewhere else. We've got to get him on to the next town. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is important time. And again, our translation kind of washes over this. When you go back and you look at the original language, it says that Jesus was angry. He was irate. He was offended with his disciples. He was ticked off that they would think that he didn't find it important enough to give these kids some of his very valuable time. When we stop, when we take a moment and give somebody our undivided time and attention, we communicate to them that they are important to us, that what they want, what they need, who they are is a priority to us. And so when we stop and we give our kids quality, 
uninterrupted time, we communicate that they are important to us, that they are a priority in our lives. How many NASCAR fans do we have? There's like four of you. We're in the South. Come on. <laughs> There's got to be more of you than this. All right. I don't follow NASCAR, so it's okay. But I am constantly amazed by pit stop crews. Somehow in 12 seconds, a car comes in, they jump over a wall, they change four burning hot tires, they refill a gas tank, they wipe off a windshield, they give the driver a happy meal, he has time to eat, they jump back over the wall, and he takes off again without running anybody over. It's the most efficient crew I think I've ever seen work in my life. It's amazing to watch it happen. They all know exactly where they're going, exactly what they're doing, exactly what's coming next. And everybody is this well-oiled machine with no wasted time at all, which is really cool to see. How often does our parenting look that way? How often are we trying to be efficient with our parenting? Everybody shows up at the dinner table assuming we get to eat a meal together. We all sit down. We've got 18 minutes before everybody's got to get to their next thing. And so it's time to start shoveling food. And dad goes, all right, everybody's here. This is my moment. I can do this. Johnny, how's school going? Mm-hmm, it's okay. It's not bad. It's good. Okay. All right. That's great. How are sports? Everything okay? Yeah, it's good to go. We got to get going. I've got practice in like 12 minutes. Okay. Well, let's have a good time. And mom, mom's over here and goes, okay, Sally's ready. Okay, Sally, how are things with Johnny? Mm-hmm. Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Well, you guys are being good and you're being safe, right? Mm-hmm. And in our 18 minutes, we have dispensed as much valuable information about hygiene and education and personal lives and relationships as we can, and then everybody is off to their next thing. I obviously belabor the point for a reason. I'm not going to lie. I think I've had some meals like that. But the reality is, We all live very hectic, busy lives, right? We all live lives where we're working a couple of jobs or both parents work a job and everybody's rushing from here to there and kids have 12 different things to do after school and then homework. And on top of that, they've got other things to get ready for. I can't even imagine very honestly how single parent homes do this. I don't know how you dress and bathe and feed and get a kid to school in one piece by yourself, work a job, get home, get everybody back together, get it all ready to go again and start the cycle the next day. It's amazing to me that single parents are able to pull that off as well as they are. So I get that we live very busy lives, right? That's a reality. But we shouldn't look to be efficient in our parenting. We need to give our kids quality time not split between 12 12 different things and trying to multitask, but quality time just for them. Someone once answered the question, how do kids spell love with T-I-M-E, time. You communicate so many things about your love for your kids with the way you handle time. When you give them more, they see that. When we give them less, They read something into that about how you feel about them, how we love our kids, how much we care about them. And I know this is difficult because of the lives that we live, but there will always be something else important around the corner. 
There will always be a way for us to find an excuse to say, you know what, I don't have time right now. You know what, I'm going to have time to spend with my kids as soon as I'm fill in the blank. I graduate school, I get my degree, and I finally have a job so that I'm not doing two things at once, and then I'll have time with my kids. I'm going to put in just some extra hours right now, just for a little while. I'm going to pay off some debt. I'm going to pay off some student loans. I'm going to pay off the car. I'm going to pay off some credit cards. But then I will have time to spend with my kids. I'm going to just put in a couple of extra weekends at work. I'm going to get a few projects done. I'm going to do well. I'm going to get notice. I'm going to get this promotion. Christmas is going to be so much better. And then I will spend time with my kids. And it is so easy for us to find the next thing that keeps us from having time for our children. There is no valid excuse for not spending quality time with our kids. And I want you to understand, I'm talking about patterns and priorities. I get that there are short seasons in our lives where things come up and we have to deal with it. But when it's a pattern, when you are showing your children by the use of your time that they are not a priority in your life, or your family as a whole, that they are not a priority in your life, that something else is coming first, then it's time to reevaluate. It's time to ask yourself, am I doing the right thing here? Or am I choosing myself and my needs and my job or my whatever it is over my family and my kids? And if you don't choose to make time for your children now, most likely you're not going to do it in the future. You will create a pattern that you stay in over and over and over again. And once you're in the pattern, it is really, really hard to get out of it. Something else is going to always come up. So prioritize your kids. Now I have an amazing example of this in my life. My wife, Carla, somehow spends every single day caring for our kids, taking care of the house, doing all the things that are necessary to keep a household moving and alive, and still finds time to have quality, uninterrupted time with our children. Now, I couldn't have prepared this. It just happened. I'm preparing this piece of this message about time, and I walk into my living room, and this is what I see in my living room. My wife is surrounded by our kids, and they're going through their life books together. And so Ephraim's looking at his adoption story, and she's talking about all the things that came up in that process. Ainsley, in all of her wise years, is looking back at her birth. And they're talking about what that looked like and what that was like for us and for Ephraim and for her. And she's just taking this beautiful moment to give to the kids. She spends all day, every day taking care of them, but she knows that it's important to set out quality time to talk to the kids, to show the kids that she loves them, to let them see in a totally different way how important they are to her. Guys, make your children a priority. They're one of the greatest responsibilities we have in our lives. They're a gift from God, and we need to show that. So there are a couple of things that you can do and you need to do what looks best for your family. One suggestion I would make for you, and you don't have to take it, but I'm going to throw it out there. Choose some point in your week. Friday from six to seven o'clock is a no devices, no social media time. Because how often, even though we're spending time with our kids, we're actually doing something else. We're checking social media statuses on our phones or we're multitasking or we're sending that last email or we're answering a text instead of actually giving undivided quality time with our kids. And so set an hour in your week where you say no devices, no social media, they're out of the room, 
And then it gets scary because you got to figure out what you're going to do. So you're going to play games together. You're going to go for a walk. Are you going to talk with each other? Never mind. That's, you don't want to talk. Do you want to go out and play some ball together out in the back? Whatever it looks like. But set some time. Set some time where you guys choose ahead of time. It's going to be from this time. Mark it on your calendar and make it happen. And yeah, it is awkward and scary for the first little while, but as it becomes a pattern in your life and a habit that you go back to over and over again, it communicates something very special to your kids. All right, so we've got affectionate, loving touch. We have abundant time. The third thing is encouraging talk. Back at verse 16, then he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. So I would love to know what Jesus says in this moment, because it could have been some, some cultural appropriate blessing of some kind as he touched them and he held them and he sent them on the way. But this is Jesus. And because he was looking to spend time with them, I'm going to guess it was more than like a one-line phrase. I'm going to guess he's speaking directly into their little hearts, their little minds, what they need to know and hear from him to communicate how much he loves them, how much he cares for them. We do know what he didn't say. He didn't sit there and go, hey, you quit doing that. Stop poking her. You be more like Sam. You need to be more like Sam. He's got stuff together. You don't know what you're doing. Why can't you figure this out yet? He spoke blessings to them. He encouraged them. He lifted them up. One of the most important things we can do for our children is to speak words of life rather than words of death to them. And what I mean by that is that you encourage them. You don't cut them down. Don't take their legs out from under them. Don't belittle them. Don't speak negatively to them on a constant basis. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't instruct and we don't correct, but we can do it in the right way. Because what happens is our voice, especially when they're younger, becomes their internal voice later in life. And if we constantly belittle them and speak down to them and tell them, you're doing things wrong, you're doing things incorrectly, you should do this instead of that, you need to get this together, you need to figure this out, you need it, whatever that is, that voice becomes their inner monologue. And when they're 16 or 12 or 14 and they're just starting high school or middle school and all of a sudden the world is around them and they're trying to figure out, am I doing things right or not? That's the voice they hear in the back of the head. You're not doing this right. You're not good enough. You don't know what's going on. You got to get this together. When we speak positive things into their lives, it gives them this beautiful chance to have this amazing self-esteem built from the ground up that God can do anything he wants through you. And you need to believe that. When we speak life into their lives, it changes them from that point on. We need to look to find a way to find our kids doing the right things instead of the wrong things. More often than not, because I am just a little OCD and I want things done a certain way, I find Ephraim doing things the way I don't want him to do it. Right? I'll point at nobody. It's not that way. You need to do it like this. Come on, you're five years old. Don't you have this figured out yet? We need to do it this way, in this order. It needs to look like this when it's all done. You need to have this figured out by now. What I've started to do, and I'm trying so hard to make this a habit, is to catch my kids doing the right things and to praise them for it in the moment before they're even ready for it. Buddy, you did a great job picking up your dishes without being asked. Way to go. Thank you so much for sharing with your sister. I am so glad that you thought to do that. You're such a great big brother. 
Now, Ephraim doesn't like a whole big moment of praise that makes him uncomfortable. And so it's a phrase, it's a little sentence or two, it's a hug and a pat on the back and away we go to the next thing. I don't make a huge deal out of it, but I'm trying so hard to make it a habit to speak positive encouragement ahead of time and to catch him doing the right thing. So that's what's cycling back in his mind over and over and over again. And when our kids are tired of hearing how proud we are of them and how much we love them and how much we think they're doing such a great job, then that's about the right time to repeat it four more times. Because then they're starting to hear it over and over and you know, oh, I've changed my dialogue with them. And their inner dialogue is beginning to change as well. You know, there is one record of God speaking audibly to Jesus in the New Testament uh, while he's here on earth. Right after he's baptized, he comes out of the water and we have this amazing moment where the heavens break open. The spirit of God shows up like a dove. The voice of God speaks out to everyone who is there. In Matthew 3, it's recorded that God said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Another translation says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We get to know one time the way God spoke audibly to his son. And what did he say? Man, you are hitting it out of the park. I am so proud of you. You have taken what I wanted you to do. You have run with it. You have done such a great job. And I want everybody here to know how proud I am of you, how much I love you, and that you are my kid. How amazing is it that that's the example we have of God speaking to his son? What do we need to do to change our dialogue so that that's what our kids are hearing from us more often than not? And parents, we only have a short period of time to do this in. We've got this little window where we get to influence our kids and then they're on their way. I want you to think about the first time you met your child. Was it at a hospital right after they were born or as a foster mom handed them off to you and you began your adoption journey or as someone stepped in and said, hey, I need some help. And you even for a short period of time took a child into your life to help out and to help that child and to help that family. Think back to the first time you met your kid holding them in your arms and take a mental snapshot of what that looks like. Experience that again. And then I want you to blink. And when you open your eyes, all of a sudden your kids are a year and a half and two years old and they're toddling around the house. They're literally walking in your shoes, following after you, doing everything that you do because they wanna be just like you, but in their own way. It's my, my way, my way, my way. That, that independent streak is a mile long. They're roaming around and I want you to take that beautiful moment. I want you to capture that in your heads. And I want you to blink because when you open your eyes again, your kids are standing four feet tall they're almost five years old. They're playing on their own now. They don't necessarily want you to do the puzzle with them. They want to do it on their own or they want to be in the backyard with their cousins playing soccer, not throwing a ball around with you in the front yard. And then the next thing you know, they're riding a bicycle around the neighborhood. They're going to hang out with friends who aren't you. They're driving off for a weekend together with some friends. They're headed to college or their first job or they're walking down an aisle, or they're stepping into their new home, and all of a sudden, they're not even living in their same house anymore. 
And if you think I'm exaggerating, find somebody here who's been a parent that long and ask them, what did it feel like? I guarantee you, they will tell you, it felt like yesterday I was changing diapers. It felt like just a few weeks ago, I was still holding them in my arms. Guys, that time goes by in a heartbeat. We have such a small window of influence with our kids. It's so limited, and we want to use it as well as we can. And in that time frame, our philosophies and our methods might change, but these three principles, loving touch, abundant time, encouraging talk, need to be present on every leg of the journey. So my challenge this morning is this. Which one do you need to work on right now? Which one, as soon as I started talking about it, you went, oh, I don't want to hear that this morning. That's not the step I want to take. But you know that's the thing. That's the thing you need to work on. That's the thing that looks daunting, impossible in front of you. How in the world am I going to hug my 17-year-old again when they won't even speak to me anymore? How do I find five minutes in my week, let alone my day, to give to my kids when I have nothing left to give? It's scary. But I strongly believe that God sees these as core pieces of who we are supposed to be as parents and that he will walk us through this to the other side. So the worship team is going to come out in just a minute and lead us through a final song. And while they do, I want to encourage you, ask God, what are the next steps I need to take to make this happen in my life? And I'm going to warn you, you commit to doing that and your life is going to be very different and it's going to be difficult, but God will walk you through this valley if you trust him. So let's pray. Father God, I am so grateful that we have this opportunity to learn from you what it looks like to be a godly parent. A parent who wants not just our best for our kids, but your best for our children. And this morning, as we look at these three principles, Father God, I pray that you would cement in our hearts what it is we need to work on, what it is we need to adjust, what it is we need to change in order to be more like you as parents. How do we best communicate our love to our kids? How do we best communicate how important they are to us? Show us, Father God, what we need to do. Show us where we need to go, what we need to change in order to make a difference. And Father God, I pray that as we sing this final song together, that you would not only reveal that to us, but show us what those next steps look like and then give us the courage and the tenacity to move forward and be more like you in our parenting. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, hi, my name is Carla. I have a few things to share with you this morning. If you're new with us, we are so glad that you're here today. Thanks so much for joining us. We would love to meet you and answer any questions you have about Epic. So on your way out, there's a Connection Center. It's the last table right before you get to the doors. We would love to say hi, so stop by and greet someone there. Before we jump into some other announcements, I think I saw Pat Farrell. Did I see him? There he is! Woohoo! 
If you don't know, we've been pay- praying for Pat Farrell since uh, the fall. Um, he needed a heart transplant, and he got one about two months ago. He's doing well. He's on the medication to keep his heart healthy. You look great, so we're so glad that you're here this morning. So. Um, Thanks for joining us, Pat. And thank you guys all for just praying for one of our, our epic family members. Uh, it's just great to see that the fruit of our prayers. So, um, We have two teams that are preparing to go to Guatemala. I'm on one of them, and let me tell you, we are so... <laughs> Ashley's on my team, so <laughs> we are so, so very, very excited about going. And we're going to be doing children's ministry and building some houses. And the other team is going to be doing... Um, some medical clinics. So it's going to be a great time. And we want to invite you to be part of this trip through Not Go and Give. One of the things that we're going to be doing is handing out water filters. And that may seem like a small thing, but um, when I was there in 2013, you could see the river that the families got their water from. And it was filthy, dirty. There was trash all over. And the water is like not clear. (laughs) And they would drink this. And when you drink unclean water, you're ingesting germs and parasites and things that just make life that much harder when you're already in poverty. So one of the things that we're going to do is is install these water filters. And it literally takes all the dirt and the grime and the germs and parasites out of the water. And they're drinking clean water. It's amazing. Along with that, we get to share the awesome message of Jesus Christ, because just like these filters take out all that that germs and the dirt and gives them clean water, which improves their quality of life, Jesus saves us from our sins. He cleans us of our sins, and he gives us new life if we accept him as our Savior. So we have such an awesome opportunity. So if you want to be part of that, water filters are $45. You can buy a whole one. You can buy half one. You can buy all 10 of them. That would be awesome. Um, So you can be a part of that. There are other opportunities that you can help with. have team members who are still raising support to go and be part of these teams. As well, we're going to be collecting adult and children vitamins to hand out during the medical clinic. So there is a card on your seat. Feel free to grab that and participate as God leads you. The deadline to give is May 29th, so be a part of that. If you call Epic Home and you want to give to what we're doing here locally in Flagler County to share the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, you can do so today with the giving boxes behind each of the seating sections or online at theepicchurch.com. Well, that's all I have to share for today, so check out this video and enjoy service. <laughs> 